0: Hey, friends. This is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast. She casts episode 54. And I'm on with Tia McNair, who is one of those people that when you hear her speak, she just you're just in awe and you're just kind of waiting for the next, the next word. And I met her initially because I was at a research symposium at the University of Michigan and she was the keynote speaker. And afterwards, I hurriedly made my way up to the front, waited in line to chat with her. And we had a really lovely conversation. And I said, I need you to come on my podcast, to which she agreed. So welcome to the podcast, Tia. So glad you're here. Thank
1: you so much. You are such a wonderful soul. That's, uh, I felt the same way when I met you. We just had the automatic connection and I did. it's an idiot. I, love it. I love it. I love it. So I'm happy to
0: be here. Thank um, you so much. And so, actually, friend, she is Dr. Tia McNair. So I want, I always like to honor people because it's hard work <laughs> to get a PhD or an MD or a JD. And so I want to make that distinction known. So um, do you mind telling us more about yourself and describe yourself in your own words? Sure. Thank you.
1: I, well, first thing, I'm a mother. I have a nine-year-old son who is curious, um, active, smart, intelligent, just uh, the apple of my eye, the joy of my husband and of our lives. And I also have a stepson who is 22. And we the role of mother is such an important piece of who I am. And especially, unless I forget wife, the husband would also say, you know, you were wife first before you were mother. So I want to honor him and the partnership that I have with him. I'm also um, uh, a Christian. I believe in God I, and it strongly that drives most of everything that I do. I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. All of those wonderfuls family is at the heart of the work that I do and why I'm here, and I wouldn't be able to do the things I do without them, so I want to honor them first and foremost. And then, my role here at AACNU, the Association of American Colleges and Universities, I am the Vice President for diversity, equity, and student success. And through that position, I'm able to work with a number of colleagues like you, Shia, across the country, various types of institutions, research institutions, community colleges, regionals, technical colleges, all types of institutions and educators on helping think about the best ways to support our students. And I'll make that clear that if they are our students, the people sure. that we work with. And so um, I'm blessed to have the role that I have and be able to do the projects and lead the work that I do at ac So I just wanted to say that's what I do here.
0: Thank you. I love that. So you mentioned that as part of your title is equity. Do you mind giving us like a one on one, a quick, um, because if you're like many listeners, um, there has been an influx, right, of strategic plans in universities across the country and looking deeper than they had in the past with equity, diver- diversity, and inclusion. So what do those three words mean so that we're all on the same page?
1: Sure, that sounds great. Why don't we start with, um, and this is one of the things that I do when I'm speaking, let's talk first I'm about understanding equality and equity. I think people can enter the conversation with that, your understanding. So when we talk about equality in education, we're talking We usually say, well, everybody has the same opportunities. Everyone has the opportunity to come to my office hours and have the opportunity to apply to this program. You have the opportunity to participate in this research experience or this service learning experience. So it means that all students have equal access to the same experiences. But when you think about equity and you think about the paradox of equality, we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different experiences that will set us up on different footing, so the whole concept of being equal is a fallacy in and of itself because sure. we come from backgrounds where everything is equal. When we have the conversation about equity, we are then looking at the historical background. We're looking at uh, the influence of history, the influence of the past. We're looking at influence of privilege, of the way that. Um, Systemic policies and practices and structures have actually shaped the opportunities, the equal opportunities, and I'm doing in quotations that on the,
0: sure. podcast,
1: the equal opportunities that students have. And equity gives us opportunity just to ask those questions about well, what do we know that everyone doesn't have an equal opportunity to every, an equal access to everything? And he has us asking the question, what do we need to do to make sure that the things that people don't have or the things that they don't access to, we make sure that they have them in a way that will put them on solid footing success, whatever those needs may be. And whatever those systems that we need to put in place, like do we need to give students additional support to address these areas where they didn't have access to versus those that they didn't. So I think equity really is based on history, it's based on experiences, it's based on privilege, it's based on uh, really understanding the fallacy of equality. That's what It's an understanding that equality is a utopian perspective, because we are not all in, because of our preconceived notions, our assumptions about each other, and the inequality of our systems, we don't have equality opportunity. So then we have to look at equity to address the pieces that are necessary to get everyone on similar footing to achieve their
0: goals. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. Um, do you want me and to, yes, go ahead.
1: Do you want me, well, equity, do you want to go into inclusion and diversity? or do you Yes, want to-
0: yes, please do. Okay.
1: So that, that's, so we have to about equity and we talk about equality, but when we talk about inclusion, there was something that Gail Christopher from the Kellogg Foundation said to us, at our annual meeting last year, when she was talking about AAC work on truth, racial healing and transformation in enterprise being a sector partner, and she was saying that AAC was has joined this enterprise, she said "We cannot have the conversation about inclusion without talking about exclusion sure. we have to figure out who is being excluded from these opportunities that we know we're going to set each other for, set students up for success for us whether it's high impact practices whether it's um, getting access to quality education. I mean, all, all these things. We have to talk about that part of exclusion. I was looking on my LinkedIn profile, and there was someone having a conversation about inclusion, and they said, yeah, I'm sure you've heard this for, before, about, oh, inclusion is about being invited to the dance, right? Mm-hmm. It's about, it, you get invited to the dance, but you actually get someone of you to dance. Well, someone else, well, it's not just about being invited to dance. You're in the room. Diversity is being in the room, right? You have different people who are represented in the room. Inclusion is about being invited to dance. But someone said, oh, it's not just about being invited to dance. It's about having the tools to know how to do the dance. That's okay. what inclusion is. About. And I said, oh, that's so good. And there was somebody on my LinkedIn page. I can't remember the person's um, name who put that up. But I think that is so true. We have to give the tools or provide students the tools to really explain Experience what full inclusion is like. We can't just assume that they, because they're invited and so they actually know how to do the steps. So how do we teach them steps? And that's equity too. If you think about it, that's mm-hmm. what equity means. And diversity is that part of understanding our various backgrounds, understanding our culture, understanding our diversity of experiences, and not just from a racial perspective, from a social right. economic perspective, from sexual identity, from a geographic perspective. I mean, the whole piece of that, we all carry various identities, and those identities make us who we are. And being able to understand that our diversity of perspectives, our diversity of experiences, that's what makes us a great country.
0: Yes, it's so true. And and I love what you said about the tools, having the tools to know how to dance. So that sounds like the success piece that you started with. And so, can we walk into how students, once they get to university, mm-hmm. how they're able to achieve success? And I know that this is a larger conversation, so I might have to um, email Tia and her assistant again and say, I'd love to have you come on another. Another time, but for now, yeah, let's get into success and what that means and how that is delineated, um, quantified, and how we have our students. I loved how you said that our students, because there is no such thing as another person's child or another person's student. We get to be invested because this is our future, you know, the, these are our students. So, how do they get to a place of success once they've arrived at uh, the university? Well first it
1: starts with us. It starts with us as educators, the people who actually have the power to actually sure.
0: change
1: the systems and the policies and the practices and actually figure out what is it that they actually need that comes from the work of Estella Bintamone when she talks about being equity-minded mm-hmm. um, and the, work at the Center for Urban Education of our partners at AACNU and you know, our Committee to Equity and Inclusive Excellence Project and um, Estella has been a long time, she was a long time involved with at a former board member, is that we really, you take the time to understand what the policies and the practices are from, and you change them, and you don't have the responsibility, and you don't bear the responsibility on the students. And that's also from our book, Becoming a Student-Ready College. You start with those particular pieces. What is it? Who are our students? That's one of our very first principles in committee and equity and knowing who your students are and who they will be. That has to be critical. You have to have that conversation. You have to as educators, we all have to as educators, I'm not saying you, but we as educators, have to figure out who, So, what are our students experiencing, who are they, what are the barriers to their success? What are the things that are hindering them from being successful or fully engaged? And then how can we create educational environments that are actually going to support their success at higher levels? If it's they need, um, the supplemental instruction or they participate in certain things on the weekend because family obligations or because they're working, how then do we restructure those opportunities so it's not just for the privilege, but it's for all of our students. And then if you take the students' demographics um, and you look at it, disaggregate the data, and then you look at where they're being successful, where they're not, you're looking at course completion, you're looking at their engagement, you're looking at who's majoring and what to see if it's equitable across the board, talking to the students, asking them how can we support, is really looking at both of those, is the academic and the social support mechanisms and how do you bring it all together. So it starts with us asking those critical questions about how are we ready to serve students and to educate students that we have. Not, to get, not the students that we in, uh, idealize or we want, to say, oh, all of our students come to us and they can fully engage, mm-hmm. our they're full-time students, they're, they're, their parents are paying their way through college. That's not the way that most of our students are entering into higher education. A lot of them have competing priorities, and they have um, responsibilities that go beyond just pursuing their degree. So it's us. It starts with us. We want to first have that foundation for success. And us knowing where our students are.
0: I really appreciate that. So you were mentioning during the pre-call about some of the, I think you said, were they recommendations that AAC&U provided last week? Was that? Is that what we were talking oh, about? So we,
1: U, in partnership with Newman's Own Foundation and the UK Kellogg Foundation launched. We identified our first ten Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Campus Centers. Our long-term okay. goal is to really develop 150 Truth, Racial Healing, and um, Transformation Campus Centers across the country. It's um, Unfortunate that it had to come on the heels of what happened in Charlottesville. It sure. uh, shows how timely it is for this, but our goal in our, as a sector partner, higher education sector partner, the TRHT enterprise that the Kellogg Foundation launched, is to help prepare the next generation of strategic leaders and thinkers to really go out and do the work of racial healing and transformation. And one of the things that I love about the work from the Kellogg Foundation is that it's not just about Reconciliation. It's about how do we heal this um, country? How do we um, help our students understand the importance of healing across racial divides? How do we transform that in our communities from the work that we're doing? So we're very pleased. And you can look on our website at AACNU.org and you can see the list of campuses. That it's a variety of institutions and the ones that we have that I can write down the list right now if you want to so that people can.
0: Sure. So I I pulled it up um friends and so the ten institutions that were selected for the first truth racial healing and transformation campus centers. Go ahead. Cherima. Yes.
1: I lost you first.
0: I know. I lost myself too. <laughs> I <laughs> okay, noticed that. Okay, um So I pulled this up and I'll include it in the show notes as well. Um, So Austin Community College, right, in Austin, Texas, Brown University in Rhode Island, Duke University in North Carolina, Hamline University in Minnesota, Um, Millsaps College in Mississippi, Rutgers in Newark, New Jersey, Spelman in Atlanta, Georgia, Um, the Citadel, The Military College of South Carolina, obviously in South Carolina, University of Hawaii in Hawaii, and then University of Maryland, Baltimore County in Maryland. Mm -hmm. So these are, I mean, I'm impressed with the list because it seems like it's not just universities, there is a community college on there, which is important um, because community colleges do a lot to provide access to students and higher education that either stay within the community college or move on to a four-year institution, which is incredibly powerful. And then military is involved. So can you tell us a little bit of how the list came to be? I saw that there were a call for proposals, but what happened? How did this, how did we get here?
1: We had a call for proposals and we had, and the response was overwhelming. And we had 125 proposals submitted. Wow. And it was hard to pick these first 10. It was definitely, we had a group of external reviewers and we had the project team here at AACNU, including our president, Lynn Pastorella, representatives from Kellogg, representatives from Newman's own. And we um, read all of the applications and had a meeting and selected. And the thing about this is that it was, it was a difficult selection process. I mean, so many of the campuses out of the 125 are doing, are doing excellent work, and we're hoping, this is the first cohort. So let's just say this. This is the first cohort of 10. Next year, we hope to add another 10, and another 10, another 10. So those campuses that weren't selected, we're hoping to bring them in, and we're inviting them. We're gonna have our first Truth, Racial, Healing, and Transformation Institute that's gonna happen in January, and we've opened up spots for those other campuses that weren't selected in this first cohort to come to that institute so that we can keep the momentum moving. We don't want it to be like, oh, they're only gonna be 10. So it was a tough, let me just tell you, a tough selection process. But I'm really glad that there's so much interest, and there's a need. I mean, the interest is there because there's such a high need for our campuses to engage in this work. I mean, you can just look in the news today and see what's happening so I, I I'm just humbled that we're going to engage in this work and partner with some wonderful experts and we have a great advisory group if you can see the advisory group that's coming from scholars and educators who've been engaged in this work for many many years and it's, it's an exciting signature initiative that we're launching here at AAC with, with Kellogg and Newman's Zone.
0: yeah it's I mean I I love that um you know, when you think about it and having these conversations, that healing's part of it, that truth is part of it, um, mm-hmm. and transformation, you know, because if I have a conversation with you, presumably the goal is that I leave slightly changed, right, mm-hmm. and that you leave slightly changed. Um, and it doesn't negate our own lived experience. It just simply means that maybe I'm open. I mean, just even in your. I can read your bio and I've read your bio and I've actually referred other people to you that are working in higher education. um, before this episode airs, I spoke with Dr. Rochelle, uh, Jones and, uh, she works at the university that I almost said the university of Michigan. We attended U of M together. She works at Ohio state, uh, university. And so, you know, I was telling her about you because I think that both of you should connect. And, you know, even hearing your own bio, I learned something new about you, you know, um, excuse me, Dr. Rochelle Woods. If I am unwilling to listen, you know, then I continue to have the same reference point, the same frame or frame of reference and the same thoughts and nothing changes. I don't evolve. I don't grow. Right. However, if I'm willing to open up my ears and my mind and even be still and silent and listen more than I speak, then I have tremendous opportunity to learn more things and to grow myself. So having these um, opportunities for students and people to connect together so that they can go through healing and some transformation, because I believe that's a ripple effect, right? It's like tossing a stone in a body of water. You don't always know what's happening in the moment, but oftentimes things are touched by, you know, this conversation hopefully multiplies itself in other areas.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's so true. And just um, before we even started in the precast, me saying, let me cut off all the things that are distracting me from having the conversation, the emails that kept coming in and the time... Just having this time right here where it's just the two of us. We're having a conversation and I'm focused on what you're saying and listening. That's one thing that we don't do a lot of in our society and we're always multitasking. We're always, when when we're talking to someone, we're thinking about the next thing that we have to get done. And we don't listen. We don't listen deeply to hear and to even to have that um, level of empathy. Yeah, For their experiences. It may not be the same experiences that we have, but just having that opportunity to listen to each other. I am constantly distracted. and My son tells me all the time, I mean, that's what I told you about on vacation. My son said, you're always on your phone. You're always doing this and not present in the moment. And I, I have to do a better job of that. I'm going to work on that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to hold you to it. You know what? Because we are so much better when we are attentive to one thing at a time. I mean, there are times though that we will need to kind of be open to multiple things happening simultaneously. Um, an ER doctor, I would never tell them or a nurse or anyone that's in the ER, just focus on just one thing, one patient alone. And at the exclusion of others, right, that's not reasonable. Um, and at the same time, we, we are in overdrive because we continue to do that even when the need, uh, is no longer there. And, and that, you know, we, I always talk about with my guests, um, because I always want to know, and I want to learn more myself of how they self care. So this is a perfect time and we'll swing it back to something else later. But, um, so Tia, how do you take care of yourself? (laughs) How do you self care?
1: Not very well at all, and I'm going to tell you, I'm constantly on the run, and I need to do a better job. I have um, one of my good friends here, Don Whitehead, who is, you know, it's a great friend who's always saying that you, you've got to book a massage or you have to do this. You need to take downtime, or I, I don't do I don't do a good job of it at all, and I need to do better. I'm constantly, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do better on that. I need to. Um, my husband even got me a treadmill he said here it's in the house now there's Sorry. no excuse to take 30 minutes and to do this and and um, I have a coach that I work with and she said Just keep asking yourself why why are you doing this why and I said it's for me into self-care, like you said, but I, am sitting when it comes to that. So I I need to work on that. I'm going to tell you, I'm failing at that. I'm I'm failing at the self-care. I I just want to tell you, not doing well at all.
0: So, and you know what, it takes a lot to be honest about that. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you being honest. And the next time we chat, we'll, we'll definitely connect on that because, you know, the work that you do is not, even though it sounds like it's very, um, you have deep passion for it. And I have such tremendous respect for you because your passion shows, you know, for, like I said, when you delivered the keynote and just engaging with the crowd and the audience, um, and asking really poignant questions that made people kind of stop and think like they weren't questions that you could just easily rattle off answers to your friends. They were those deep conversations. And um, you really did have a connection with each of us that were in the audience. And still, you know, we can't go, we weren't designed or created to go all the time, you know, we do need rest. And, you know, some people don't believe in creationism. And I, I respect and appreciate that everyone doesn't believe the same thing. Um, and if you look at that, even if you look at it just as a story, not as what actually happened, mm-hmm. um, you know, reading that text, that's an ancient text. It said that the divine worked for six days and rested on the seventh. And anyone can have different interpretations of when the seventh day was. And so I'm not going to get into the minutiae because that's not the point of this. The point is that rest is so important and so imperative. Um, to us, especially people who are advocates like yourself. Um, and it's easy to go, I get it. I mm-hmm. I do that sometimes as well. And I have to stop myself because it's like, I'm having a conversation and I'm on the phone. Um, like I'm on the phone, but I'm texting or I'm looking something up <laughs> online. And it's like, wait, I'm not doing, you know, and, and if I was on the other end, I would want someone to be really focused and present with me, you know, so I ought to do the exact same thing. So, um, right. It's, it's so true. So how do, you know, if someone wants to get involved with the work that AAC is doing, um, mm-hmm. do you all accept donations or how do people get involved both with you all and maybe even at a granular level within their communities? I know that you touched on, Educators get to kind of step up and support students in their success, uh, whatever that looks like. But how can an average person that may not be an educator or may not think they're an educator, how can they get involved?
1: Well, that's really interesting because we are a membership organization, so we're at higher education institutions are part of our membership base. I mean, people can make individual donations to AACNU. I mean, we have that on our website. You can look at that at AACNU.org and it says donate. You can do that and make individual contributions, but you also can follow our work. I mean, our publications are online. Most of them are free. You can see the work that we're doing. You can see the communities that we're engaged with. You can see the work that um, Kellogg Foundation, they're, they're not just in these communities, they're in other communities, and you and just follow along with that particular work. We post resources on a you know daily basis in relationship to that. But it's also just, um, like you said, taking that time to reflect um on what it means to be an an educated citizen what it means to actually advocate for uh what we mean by liberal education and not just being a liberal we don't want to make sure that there's not that you know the disclaimer on that is not about saying for a particular partisan viewpoint we're talking about um People educating themselves and and being deep thinkers and critical thinkers and and really engaging in analysis and not just accepting um, what they're told all the time, but being inquisitive and engaging in inquiry. All of those things are what we advocate for at AACNU and making excellence inclusive for all students and how do we, um, one, define excellence, which is what we talked about when I was at Michigan, and what does inclusion look like and and how do we go about this? there are no simple answers, like you said. I purposely put questions out there that there are no simple answers to, but there are answers to it. It doesn't mean they don't act. Just because it's not simple doesn't mean that you don't act. You have to act on what we're trying to do. So there are ways for people to become involved and to follow along in the conversation with the work that we're doing. Every, everything's out on our website, and it's available to um, anyone who wants to read about it.
0: That's awesome. Um, that made me think of a follow-up question, Tia, regarding the Truth, Racial Healing, and Transformation Campus Centers. Will they be engaging with the community within their, okay, so then people can stay in touch by AACNU's website, but also looking at this list, and if they're in a community that's Near one of these campuses, they can kind of keep yeah. an eye out that way. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's true. The, one of the requirements is they had to have community partners. The work can't just be done on campus because you can't do it in isolation of what happens sure. on the campus. You have to work and be part. I mean, it's cam- campus organizations, students, higher ed institutions are part of a larger community. Yes, you're a community within yourself, but you're part of a larger community. And so this work can't happen in isolation and part, you know. Without having critical partners in sure. the community, so yes, that's one way. But then also, again, with the Kellogg Foundation, the Truth Racial Healing Transformation Cities or regions they have, you can go on their website. They gave away, um, awarded what is that? I think twenty plus million dollars to some oh. of these other areas across the country that are not just represented by these institutions. So this is a huge undertaking, so that we're touching millions and millions and millions of people across the country.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Having, I mean, having these conversations as difficult as they are, and I think that's one of the sobering thoughts. Um, You know, when this airs, we will be several weeks out from Charlottesville. And that doesn't mean that the sting and pain of it would have subsided um, by that point. But I think that um, the beauty, even in the pain and tragedy of it, is that we as a nation are having some difficult conversations that we maybe could have benefited from having sooner, you know, um, in the past. And yet, I believe in Hope Rising that if we have it today, then we have an opportunity, right, to move forward together. Um, If we don't have it at all, you know, if we're not having these conversations, we're not talking about success. And I mean, I love, love, love the analogy of the dance. Um, And we're not talking about what equity really means in relationship to equality and diversity and inclusion. And we don't define terms and we don't, you know, chat with experts on it. Because we think we're the expert and we know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we're not on the same page, it uh, lessens the likelihood of us even coming together, even with differing opinions, right?
1: Right, I completely agree. Um, when we have, that's why most of the times when I go on campuses, just even having the conversation about equality and equity, uh, especially when it's a, a smaller group, and they say they're going to start engaging in equity work, but I find out nine times out of ten. They are defining equity with equality. And they haven't taken the time to figure out, well, what do we all mean by equity? What's our shared language around this? Because if you don't have that conversation, then you're missing a critical step in the process of addressing equity. And the, the whole point of the healing work and the truth and the racial healing and the transformation, you're right, we have to, as a country, engage in these conversations. And the things that are coming now out of the darkness that were in, that were once in the light, they were now, now they're in the darkness and now they're coming back out in, have existed for many, many years. Our problem is we have not healed. We have not That's enjoyed right. these particular issues. We haven't even thought about ways of coming together um, that does, in a way where division, <laughs> division has dri- is driving so much of our rhetoric today and it's about, well, I'm different because of this or you're keeping me from this versus us thinking about what does it mean for us to come together as a nation? What does it mean for us to think about what, what it means for you to see something, a statue? What does it mean for, for me to see it versus someone else? What, what emotions come up? What um, barriers? I mean, there's so many things that we're not willing to address as part of a healing process. And that's Mm -hmm. what we have to do that. I mean, the legacies are long. The legacies are deep. Mm -hmm. We have to be willing to acknowledge that they exist. And history is a part of that. We all need to know our history so we won't repeat the same mistakes. We can't heal if we're still, if we're not willing to be empathetic and to listen to each other and to actually hear the pain and see, I mean, it's one thing to see the pain, but I mean, you have to actually hear when you're listening to someone deeply, and it's transformative. It's it so true. Different. Maybe not be for everyone, but it should be transformative.
0: That's true. It, it's, I mean, it's so true. So, one last question for you because Tia's busy, y'all. In case you didn't know, she has <laughs> <laughs> she has lots going on. So. Um, who are some of your favorite authors or book titles that have really been instrumental, um, you know, in your career, but I would say in your life. So you can pick just a couple of titles because I'm sure you've read hundreds of books over, you know, from when you started reading to now, but just some that kind of are highlights that were helpful to you and, or could be helpful to other people as we continue to have some of these difficult conversations.
1: Well, there are a number of people. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of what I just read. Um, not just read it several months ago. I had a friend recommend the gilded years to me. Okay. It was a story of the African, based on a true story, African-American woman who uh, passed when she was in college and that whole concept of passing to be accepted and, and the fear that, um, that the young woman felt, and and people finding out who her roommate finding out who she is, and this is that fear of discovery or or that veil being lifted, not just for passing, but that whole concept for us as women or as people of color or people with varying sexual identity resonated with me, and in such a different way that that we steal may not be honest and truthful about who we are because we're trying to be accepted into society. That resonated with me um, just recently about what does it mean to pass, but not just to pass on color. I started thinking more deeply about the whole concept of of passing in general and how we pass all the time (laughs) in so many different um, things. And then it made me think more about the double consciousness of you know, of WB, Du Bois I mean, all of those pieces there coming back into um, the work that we do. I have always been moved by um, women writers, Jay California Cooper and Alice mm-hmm. Walker and Toni Morrison and, and, and all of them. It's, it's just, it's just powerful. I remember reading Kane River, mm-hmm. that. <laughs> that, that book and the struggles of that. And, oh, gosh, and can you ignore Zora? You can't, you have to, can't you have to say Zora Neale Hurston. You have to think about
0: mm-hmm.
1: that she, that she's done. So, I mean, one of my friends, um, Emma Clayton Peterson, and she, you know, gave me, her aunt had her, her passed, and she gave me a book of her poetry um, after she passed. And mm-hmm. that meant a lot to me, that she shared her words and her wisdom. Mm-hmm. It was a family legacy with me. So I'm moved by a lot of different things. I'm moved mm-hmm. by um, a lot of different authors and work. I, it's um, it's humbling. It's humbling um, to think of all the people that, and when they share their struggles. And mm-hmm. I used to, when I was in college, I spent a lot of time reading slave narratives. I was mm-hmm. surprised by slave narratives all the time. And I wanted to read as many as I possibly could. Mm-hmm. That was something that, um yeah. That put me the, So yeah, so lots of different ones. It's making me think more and
0: more. <laughs> lots of different ones. Awesome. So I think we've touched on a lot of stuff. And I thank you again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for your like you said, your spirit and your soul and for bringing this
0: opportunity to so many people. So thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. I received that. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So just a few stories um, from Humans of New York. Um, One appears to be a young woman, and she says, I'm finding out that being an adult is a lot more than learning how to cook, which is true. (laughs) (laughs) And then another young woman who says, I'm trying to figure out out what my dreams are. Um, And then a young man, it says, I just need to figure out what's enough. And then when asked, how do you do that? Not sure. That's why I'm in therapy. So we all have questions, I guess, right? Figuring figuring it out. Um, All right. So, I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So friends, thank you so much for the love and support. I'm so glad Tia was able to join us today. And tell your friends about this podcast. This is the Type A Hippie Podcast, ChiCast, episode 54 rate, subscribe, and review it so that I know what you need and what you'd like so I can be better of service to you. My name is Shidima. Until next time, namaste.